What's up, everybody? Another episode of The Straight Cut coming to you from West End Cigars inside the Members Lounge. I am Aaron. And I am Mark. Oh, you threw me off. You just say, this is Mark. This is Aaron. <laughs> um, we're going to have a fun one tonight. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a yes. while. Yes, the inner child of me has been looking forward to this one a lot. I have some uh, cool stuff I want to bring up. Um, so who do we have tonight? We have the Space Noop, uh, a.k.a. Steven. Mm-hmm. Um, who is somebody that we've known now for, it feels like forever, mm-hmm. but probably about four to six months, right, Stephen? Uh, since the end of August, yeah. End of August. Yeah. And somebody who uh, I talk to daily, probably more than I talk to you, Aaron. Uh, I can definitely say, we talk to each other once a week. I mean, you, well, yeah. you could like reach out and like we could converse. Hey, like what I tell my dad, that phone works both ways. It does. But uh but yeah, we met him, uh, I guess, in a couple months ago when he came up to Little Rock for the uh, the herf that we had. About a month and a half ago, yeah. yeah so uh, it's uh, it's really exciting to have you on here. Um, so we are all smoking the same thing. We are smoking courtesy, at least on our, on our side, courtesy of Mark. We are smoking your absolute most favorite cigar in the whole wide world, bar none, number one, year after year, right? Every year. And everybody should know that. Because we just did our ten year or our top ten show, or our ten year anniversary. Hey, eight years coming up. <laughs> um, but it's the uh, La Fuente Inejo Triple Eight, which is by far the best size of the Inejo brand or style or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sure. In and, your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I was getting some pushback this week from Stephen and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. They are both, they, they very much like the 888, but they prefer the 77, right, Stephen? Yes, sir. It is probably now my probably number one cigar. I'd have to update my top 10 list. Yeah, that, that shark size. It's usually one of the two. It's, it's when you talk to anybody, like the Robustos and the Toros get some love, but it's, it's usually the shark or the Lonsdale triple eight. It's, it's one of those, and I'm the triple eight. But we're also drinking something. That we are we, that we are, that was given to us uh, by a good friend of ours as well. Yeah, um, I've never had it before. You've never have it had it before, right? I've never so we, even had this type of. We, I've yeah, had other creams, but I've, not this. I've one. I've never had this before. Never even heard about. It. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it anywhere. Um, but we're having Talleyrand Bourbon Cream, and holy shit! Yeah, um, this is dangerous. Yeah, we. I had my first drink uh, before we started recording. <laughs> And, uh, Steven, you asked me what, what I was drinking because I went, uh, damn. Oh my God. Like it is, it is, and Norm had described it as it was better than Irish cream. And for the record, it is, it has, um, and I just was raving about the four farms, Irish mm-hmm. cream. This is amazing. This is, I've never had anything like this before. I mean, as I've said it before, I'm not a bourbon guy. I don't know a lot about mm. bourbon. Um, but if it all tasted like this. Sign me well, the bourbon, fuck up. Well, first of all, this is cream bourbon. I know, but still, like this is great. This is absolutely amazing. It's yeah. I can't. We're gonna drink. Well, Stephen, you were saying bottle. the Buffalo Trace is excellent. Uh, Buffalo Trace is excellent too, as well. And you can actually pour this over ice cream. You can do all sorts of things to make this good. I put it in coffee. I drink it straight. I put it in coffee. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, coffee would be amazing. So we've just got it on ice right now, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very good. So it is. If if I'm not talking, I'm just going to be sitting here drinking and listening. So it'll be dangerous. Yeah. Well, so, not the listening part, but then. <laughs> well, then if that's the case, why don't you go ahead and take over while I drink some more? <laughs> Fair enough. 
So, Stephen, you came, you live in Houston, right? Um, uh, yes, sir. And uh, you came to the Little Rock Curf on Saturday. So, you got to, we, we'd known each other on the Discord, but you you actually came to the Little Rock Curf. You weren't here on Friday, so you missed out on the, the crazy wild recording night. Um, um, but uh, you were here on, all day Saturday, so we, we got a chance to meet in person. That was pretty, pretty damn cool, mm-hmm. so... Oh yeah, I actually came to celebrate. Uh, came to the her uh, one just to meet up with all you guys to meet Chris. Uh, he and I've talked quite a bit over the six months that I've been in LCC. Uh, and like I said, we we talk along with several others pretty much every day or four to five times a week. But I literally came to not only meet you guys, but that's how I chose to celebrate my birthday because my birthday was that Sunday. So that was the best way I could choose to spend my birthday was to meet some people I just genuinely care about and that mean the world to me. Yeah, it is. Uh, we'd grown tight online, but that day sort of cemented cemented it for me that we had uh, that it was pretty cool. I mean, it was uh, that that day was pretty special for. Uh, I know Aaron and I talked about how special it was for mm-hmm. us, but um, it was uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was. It was special. So, plus we smoked uh, about I, twelve cigars. To only twelve. Yeah, I only smoked. That's a low number, I think. Well, my my number was lower than that just because I only had twenty four hours there. But uh, <laughs> you know, I had seven, seven or eight. But uh, it was definitely both an exciting and emotional time getting to meet everybody. Because you know, just the video image on here, the relationships are absolutely real. Uh, you know, I interact with you guys as much as more than my family and sure much more than my local uh, friends here. Uh, and it's definitely been the best part of 2020 for me. And you guys have supported me through a number of different things uh, that I went through with uh, my son. But you guys have definitely stood up with me and for me through this whole period. So, you know, it's much love and respect to all of you. Yeah. No, it is it is amazing how tight that group has become, but you know, we, you've, you and, and Nigel and Greg and, and bear have supported, um, and, and Jeremy, I was trying and Matt was there that weekend. Um, that, that group, uh, has, it's funny. We were laughing today that, uh, Tony, uh, we said we've all cried on that herf and Tony said he hadn't. And we were jokingly said, uh, it's just a matter of time, brother. So, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it, <clears throat> now it's getting smoky back here, and I'm coughing. So getting all emotional already. <laughs> getting emotional already. Well, it's time to cry. Yep. So <clears throat> I know. I know. Do you have a B and M down in Houston that you go to regularly? Or I mean, I know you're. Uh, you this isn't your first cigar, so I know. No. Uh, I have a number. Houston has quite a few B&Ms. Uh, there's one here that's been here for about 60-odd years. Uh, it's a third-generation B&M. Uh, I typically go there. Uh, but I, we have another several big ones that I end up going to as well. So I, I, it's just like what we do online. I hunt for the stuff in the local B&Ms. Uh, but the place I smoke the most is my patio on the back. Uh, I'd go to a B&M because a lot of them have been open and we could smoke right outside of them. 
but uh, I look to smoke with you guys on the hearse more than I look to go to the right now. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Yeah, because we went to one, where was it? Was it Stogie's? That's the one. Yeah, that we, Stogie's on yeah. West Timer here in Houston. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the one that that's Mark. That's place I frequent. Yeah, so that's the one that Mark and I went to. Yeah, that was, that place was sweet. Man, that humidor was huge. It was. Like, there was some stuff in there that I was hunting for. Yeah, there was. Uh, lunch and it was. There was Casa Fuente. Mm-hmm. And there was Casas in there. See, mine was the, uh, the Oktoberfest. Yeah, found, you were found all. Those, found those there. Yeah, we went down and saw a soccer game at uh, Reliant. And so Aaron and, and another friend of ours. That's almost four years ago, dude. Yeah, it's been a while. It's time for another wow. trip to Houston. Well, I'm probably going in a couple of weeks, so I'll, oh, I plan, that's right. I plan Your on, brother's down there. I plan on stopping by one of the uh, lounges. So, do you say the lounges are open or aren't open? They are. Are okay. Yeah. So, was, Aaron, uh, when when you get ready to plan your trip, just let me know, and I can set a trip up for us, and we'll go together, man. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I'll, it'll be in a couple of weeks. Just waiting for Ian to actually get admitted fully into MD Anderson. But once he does that, then I'll be heading down there for a day and. Do an old vehicle swap. And, all right. And like I said, we got lots of friends that work there. And if he needs anything while he's here, just let me know and I'll help you take care of it. Yeah, definitely will. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And I know that means a lot to my mom, too, because I, I told her as well. I was like, we have a contact down there if we need anything. He's down there doing stem cell stuff. Yeah, he uh, hopefully will start uh, by the time this comes out. Hopefully he would have started Thursday extracting stem cells with the, with all the weather that happened and, you know, Texas getting hit pretty, pretty fucking hard. Mm-hmm. It, it pushed his stuff back by about mm-hmm. two weeks. Wow. So he's just been going outpatient, doing some other stuff, getting, I don't know even the, what they're called, like booster shots to get his white cell count up and everything and all that. But I'm sure they, it's yeah. stuff, it's stuff above my pay grade that they're dealing with, but yeah, uh, they know what they're doing. Yeah. He's, he's good. He's like, I'm just bored. He's like, he's stuck in a room with a N- N- Nintendo and that's about it. Yeah. The Nintendo switch you bought him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good brother. Uh, I try to be. So Steven, do you remember your, I mean, how long you've been smoking cigars? Do you remember your first cigar? Uh, I started probably smoking in my twenties. Uh, then had a pretty good hiatus. Uh, when my children were born, I went through a period where I lost a set of twins, had twins. And so once they were born, I kind of hyper-focused on them. And smoking went away for a good number of years, probably about 15 years. But I started smoking probably in college. Uh, and then pretty much probably about three and a half years ago, uh, I really said I needed something for me. And I picked the cigars back up and have been going pretty strong since then. But uh, it's really amped up since COVID, though. Yeah. I would smoke maybe uh, easily once, twice a week. Uh, but yeah, I surpassed that a long time. Now it's at least <laughs> twice or more a day. <laughs> so I know if we you miss s- a day, you make it up on the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have a pretty broad palate because you and I – you have smoked a, t- a ton of cigars together. Um, but do you, um, so you smoke a lot of different cigars. Um, do you, I mean, so do you have a certain cigar? I mean, so describe what Steven likes to smoke. What do you like to smoke? What, what kind of things appeal to you in a cigar? What makes a great cigar? Great. I mean, let's, there's 17 questions there. What do you like to smoke? <laughs> Just keep lobbing them at him. Keep uh, going. Yeah. Let me run well, all hundred. 
all right, you keep running 100 and thinking that I'll try and process them as fast as I can. Uh, but if you ask me what I like to smoke, I'm going to go by uh, brand and my favorite cigars of that. Because I said typically when I was smoking once or twice a week, it was either uh, a Don Carlos number two or a Padron. And it'd be a Padron 45 Maduro. Nice. Uh, absolutely one of my absolute favorite cigars. And because I was only smoking once or twice a week, it was always have something that you like. But uh, over the last three years, it is, I've always smoked the same thing because if I like it, I love it. And if I love it, I like it. Uh, so, and I'm very loyal uh, to the things I like. Uh, so I would just kind of stick to the things like that. But it's since joining L, uh, LCC, it's ex- between LCC and the members, it is, I joined mainly to broaden my horizon uh, because. I felt like I was having my own rebirth in my love for cigars. Uh, I started smoking cigars uh, with my grandfather. So to go answer your first question, what was my first one? It's probably a, a Dutch Masters. Okay. And then as I started traveling the world, I kind of started smoking Cubans because I was overseas quite a bit. Uh, and the thing I loved about travel, it was, it was the adventures that I got to have, the people I got to meet, but it was always that I got to bring cigars home to my grandfather. And I'd drive down to Galveston where he lived, or if he was visiting my mom, we'd sit on the back porch and smoke. So if I think about my first experience smoking a cigar, it's always with him. And if you ask me about the best experience, you know, I'd say it's kind of generational. It would always go back to smoking with my grandfather. And what makes that so unique and special for me, because after he passed away, you know, I'd still visit my mom. I'd sit on the back porch just like I was smoking a cigar with him. And my mom would walk out and tell me she could miss her dad because she sees him in me. So if I think about my early cigar experience, those are the things and those kind of experiences are what ties it for me. Uh, But what makes Cigar is great for me now are the same kinds of experience, but it's much broader. Uh, it's a catalyst for a number of the friends that I have here. We do those things together, but it's been what's brought the new friends that I have that I've made through LCC that I consider to be my new lifelong friends and family. And for the group of people I truly call, you know, I love everybody that's out there in LCC that I've been able to meet. Uh, and there's different depths of friendships we've been able to establish. But for the group that I call my circle of friends, I am non-apologetic for my love for them. Mm. So, but uh, really, like I said, uh, broad palette. Uh, I still like Cubans. Uh, a Monte Cristo number two of the Hickey 56 and even <clears throat> a Talisman. The Talisman 2017 release made my top 10 list. Not because it was a great cigar, but I smoked it with Greg or Padre when he smoked his first Cuban. It had been sitting in my humidor for about three and a half years, and I had no intentions of touching it yet, but he said he wanted to smoke his first Cuban, and I couldn't let him go out by himself. (laughs) So that experience made my top 10 list. That's awesome. I've not, you know, I've not ever smoked, I hadn't heard of the Talisman. So, um, the, the, those others, I, although I have not smoked a Benhiki, Benhiki or mm-hmm. Benhiki, mm-hmm. um, uh, 
you know, I understand you, you have, you and I have similar taste, which isn't a surprise. Yes, um, it is funny. Um, uh, I, I love the, your story about your grandfather. That is such a, uh, so my grandfather on my dad's side, my dad is seriously anti-smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but his father, my grandfather was not, he drank whiskey and smoked cigars and, and, and ate bacon until <laughs> he died. Right. Because, uh, and, and told the same stories and was just one, one of the, I just I loved him to death because he was, he was, he was everything my family is right. He was, he was funny and irreverent and all those things. And he is, he is what my dad is writing. He, he is funny and irreverent and all those things. Um, and I wish I could have smoked a cigar with him. It's one of those things to think about that opportunity to smoke with your grandfather is pretty cool. Yes, sir. That's a pretty special moment. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen pictures of like my grandpa have a cigar because he, he was a minor league ball player. He played with Joan Maggio and, and all that. But so I've seen, so he was a Yankee. No. So this was back, no, back in the minor league days. Okay. Um, but like I, I've seen, I have a few of these old pictures of him and like, and he is like one of the most handsome dudes I've ever seen. And what then the like, happened? and then I look at me, I'm like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> so it's happened there. <laughs> um, but yeah, he like, he's wearing the old school, like baseball jumpers. Like the full, like thick wool in the middle of the this, you know, the the heat and everything. Sure. But then, like, he has a cigar with his batting glove, and I'm like, that's badass. Like, that's a different, kind of that's a different time era. Yeah. But like, I would have loved to like, if I if if time travel ever happens, I'm going to go back there, a to meet DiMaggio, and then to, you know, have a cigar with him, in his like old school, you know. Yeah. baseball gear and be like, Oh, by the way, this is what you produced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> um, hey, but, just pay attention to him when he talks to that. Uh, what I love, loved most about smoking was my grandfather with the lessons that, uh, he taught at that time and his perspective of the world yeah. based on his life experiences. Yeah. I mean, it I- was, I, I was, yeah, I, was I, lo- I was looking if to like be around. He, I think he died whenever I was like ten or so. I mean, it was way before, but he he quit smoking way before I was even around. And like, it's pretty much like he picked it up after the war and then stopped shortly after. But uh, yeah, you can you can always learn something from from the old school. So and so you you obviously your grandfather lived a long time. Then if he was if you were old enough to smoke when he was. So you, I mean, he, you had a good, good run with your grandfather then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he lived to be 84 and he worked, he worked up until just before he died. So, uh, you know, he was a full man's man, did his thing, but, uh, he loved to teach you what he had learned. So you didn't have to go through the same experience. Yeah. That's awesome. It sounds like somebody who is worth knowing. Uh, yes, sir. I uh, I don't want to let the comment go um, w- without noticing it, noting it um, about LCC friends and and the circle we've created um, because I, I I do I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but I am going to note it um, uh, that that is important to me as well. Um, 
because um, that is, to me, the thing for 2020, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> And so um, I'm, just, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but it does – it is a big, big deal to me as well. So I heard, I heard it. Um, I agree. Yeah. Um, and uh, we share that the importance of that together. So, no, I mean, you can play the what about isms, but like, you know, if we didn't have this global shit storm that we're, that we're having, I mean, I don't know if we would have met a lot of these people because that's kind of like with the local B and M being shut down, it kind of drew everybody into a virtual realm. And I mean, that's why these became so big and how we did meet so many people that's, you know, worldwide. Yeah. Made my, made my my life better. So, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And absolutely mine as well. Significant way. So not, so yeah, my mom was actually asking and she will ask about you next week. Um, because she was really curious about this circle of friends uh-huh. and she now listens to the podcast. So <laughs> hi mom, I love you. And, um, does your mom get onto you? Like mine does. Get no, on me? my mom wants to know about the people. So, cause she's, <laughs> she's, she's, I'm from her. Uh-huh. So she's a people person. So, um, she will ask about you. She was actually asking about you in advance about this week's show and she was asking about bear and mm-hmm. all the people who were on that little rock show two shows yeah um and uh, she will ask a lot about steven she's yeah. she's gonna love this one yeah her her dad my grandfather um and won't get in um was was um was one of the coolest people you would ever meet and what I remember to this day is his smile. I mean, the lessons that I learned and all that stuff, but just the big Vernon Corbin smile. And he just loved life, just yeah. loved life. And there's there's the Bear Garcia lesson right there. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Well, um, well, before we get into the meat of what some of the show is going to be about, let's talk about these cigars that we're all having. Yep. Um, so it's a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper, a Dominican binder and filler. So... This is the same uh, filler and binder that they use for their Opus line. Uh, then they change the wrapper and they age it for a year in cognac barrels. So you get it that nice little sweetness and everything to it. I have it. no idea what you're talking about. Hey, it's this just is fucking where, this, awesome. This is where I come into play oh, as the wow. as the CRT. They just know? make it awesome. <laughs> they do make it awesome. But, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, I always tell people, like, if you can't get an Opus, but you can, you have access to an Yeho, try yep. that out. Because it's, it's almost the same thing. It's two thirds, the same thing. Um, but like, again, with Opus, these are hard to get. They come out one time a year and yeah. then they're, the they're gone. three legs of the Fuente high end mm-hmm. stool. Um, the, the Opus is my least favorite. Cause he talked about one of my favorite the, cigars the too. Don is Carlos. Don Carlos number two. I mm-hmm. mean, what are we talking about? That's such an amazing, I smoked that on Friday night. Mm-hmm. That's such an amazing smoke. Um, and I, I think you should cut that part because I don't want other people to know. <laughs> so, because uh, no, that's a fairly easy cigar to get. I mean, it's yeah. a little, it's a little expensive, but it's not horrible. No, I mean, it's just and, such a great smoke. And honestly, like these two, like if if you can find them and when you can find them, they're not outrageous. Of course, you know we're talking to a guy who just got an Opus Twenty Two box today. I know. So, like, know your audience, right? I, I mean, <laughs> what was in that box, Stephen? Uh. 22 amazing cigars. Yeah. 
I can I can tell you, uh, and to follow you up on the Don Carlos number two, it is absolutely my favorite everyday stick. It is a go-to. It is make everything right kind of stick. The Añejo is right there now. Like I told you, I would rewrite my top ten list to add the Añejo as my new number one. Uh, but uh, I am a Fuente fanatic, uh, and I am growing my collection. <laughs> uh, I, in, I had several other Opus. Uh, I think one of my humidors is probably 80%. It's a 300 capacity, but it's 80% Fuente. Nice. Uh, plus it's a couple other tough doors of Fuente, uh, all across the core line, but it is mainly Añejo number two and Opus, the variety of Opus. And I have been trying to grow that collection. Yeah. Uh, and I did that successfully today. And thank <laughs> you guys for, Tony wanted me to unbox it. <laughs> I am usually a lot more humble than that, even though there are a lot of friends in the LCC that call me an elitist bougie smoker. <laughs> and I have, I am not ashamed to be that. And I wear it as a badge of pride. Hey, Mark, because, Mark called uh, me bougie last week. So, yeah. Because at this point in life, I have just decided I will not have a bad drink, a bad cigar, and I will choose not to knack with a bad woman. Yeah. I can. So. That's life advice, right there. <laughs> that's, you want leadership? That was fucking leadership, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, your time is worth too much. Oh yeah, uh, and it's irreplaceable. So at some point, you have to be make a decision that you don't need to settle. And so, right. one of my passions is both bourbon, cigars, and a few other things. But I am trying to make sure that if I reach in my humidor, I do not have a bad stick. Yeah. So the things I buy, I buy the stuff I absolutely love. And I look to LCC to provide me with variety to try new things. And then when I find something else I love or like, I go buy that too. Yep. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I, I try to have my humidor, you know, curated so I can just open it blindly. And whatever I grab is going to be, you know, not a filler stick. It's going to be something like it's, I want it because I, I specifically want it. It might not be the thing that I, flavor wise I'm looking for right now, but yeah, when I win that humidor, I want to. I know that I'm grabbing something that yeah. I I want. That there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing in there. There's. It's not like the sausage filler or whatever. Sausage filler cigar. <laughs> Sounds gross. That just took a right turn or a yeah. left turn or a turn. But uh, uh, so my, one of my all time favorite Maduros is a Fuente. It's the uh, the uh, eight five eight Maduro. I mm-hmm. absolutely love that one. That's. That's just out of the core line? Just out of the core line. Man, that A58 Maduro is, th- that's a good Maduro um, that I, I try to put people on here who want to get into Maduros. Yeah. Um, that's one of the, like, maybe two or three that I'll, you know, push them towards to try to see if that stronger realm is what they're looking for. Because it's not, it's rich and robust, but it's not, like, like robust and strong. It's that richness that really, you know, drives it home for me. Nice. So that's a good that's a good core line. Well, another core line too. If they're only going to smoke so often and they want a better experience, mm-hmm. the Padron Imperial Maduro is probably another one that they will. If they want to enter into that realm of Maduro, that would mm-hmm. make them love it. Yeah, I think like the uh, the the A five eight is on there. The the uh, Padron, even the core line, the thousand series, those are good. Um, mm-hmm. Late now, it's like the Crux Maduro. I, I pushed two or three people to that today. I got Mo to smoke the 
Epicure Maduro. She really, she really liked it. So I'm like, all right. Like I get excited whenever I push a man. <laughs> like it just means I'm doing my job right. <laughs> That's what matters to me. That was for Nigel. I'm just going to sing Pusher Man to you all night. <laughs> Thanks. I knew Nigel would appreciate that. That's a little something, something. All right. Uh, so, the wise one. Oh, the wise one is correct. The Don. The Don. So if you have, what other, uh, I hear you about Fuente and Padron, but what other cigars have you been smoking recently that you've been enjoying uh, that aren't in those two lines? <laughs> Well, if you know me, if you've ever received a bomb for me, you know it's got to be a uh, Liga 9. I am a Steve Saka fan. Yeah. Uh, so all across the board, the tricky Traka. Uh, but other things that I like to smoke, I mean, things with lots of flavor, lots of spice. So uh, one of the things I was introduced to as I've joined LCC was Tatuaje. Mm. Uh, but... I started with the Fausto, then went to the Chaos, and then I'm having to back myself down into the other line, but it's it's hard when you start uh-huh. with the ones, ones that pack a punch. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I love the fast out of the Chaos. But yeah. uh those are good ones. The Black Crack and a few others that uh yeah. and I can't say I have jumped on the Karloff train. I have not become a collector, but it is a good <laughs> smoke. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're becoming a short supply because of a couple of our friends. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, no, but that, that Fausto, uh, love that one. That one that made my top ten mm-hmm. this year. Love that one. That Doug smokes one every day, pretty much. Like starts his day off with that. That's like your friend that you used to work with. That would start with an NAS and two beers in the morning. Yeah, the, well, the, he would start with the uh, the chiseled double. That's right, that's right. That's right. Yeah, like that's you just go, dude. Puts, ha- just, puts hair in your chest. You're just a bigger man than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just wanted to get hit straight in the face for the <laughs> yeah. start the day off. Yeah. Yes. 6 a.m. with a couple of beers and a, and a chisel. But, hey, you know, you do you. You do you. So I think I think you kind of answered this, but I just want to make sure um, we always ask the most meaningful cigar. I think it's probably, but I'll give you a chance. What's, it doesn't have to be the most expensive or, or you know, the best cigar you ever smoked. But what's probably the most meaningful cigar you ever smoked? The most meaningful cigar would be any cigar I smoked with my grandfather. Anything from a Dutch Masters to the Monte Cristo number two. It would not matter. It's just a time with him. But uh, as I've gone through life now, the most meaningful one for me at this point is the last one I smoked with my friends. That's a great answer. Yep, I do. Uh, I do. I do appreciate both of the both sides of that answer. That's um, that's a great answer. Well, that's because you're one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Right and back I, at you. And I smoke a lot with you. I ask you, what are you smoking? And I smoke with you, uh, Jeremy, Nigel, and and Zoe. Yeah. And Bear primarily. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I let you guys call them if I got them. I smoke them. Yep. Because it's more about the time with you guys. That is a good group of guys. Salt of the earth. Yep, I love those guys. And, I, and there are a lot more of them. I just, I just referenced the few, yeah. so I'm not yeah. leaving anybody out. Yeah. No, that's not, that's not a, that's not the entire list. But that no, we, list we, right we, there, we'd, I love. We'd be on here for hours just naming off. I know, literally <laughs> I everybody. Know. I know, but <laughs> I just that vast. But he, it is. But that list, but. Those guys right right there, I, yep. yeah. Yeah, 
and and I'd have to drop Chris and Ben in that thing too because yeah, I mean they totally. come on they not you know they not only run the club but uh, they're one of the guys just the same and they come and smoke with us as often as they can. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Charlie, a bunch of guys just thinking about those guys, getting a little emotional thinking about how the how much those guys have come to mean to me. Yeah. So, and you too, you know that. So, um, I absolutely do. Well, uh, last week, some big stuff happened on your side of what you're involved with. Um, was there a celebration cigar involved with that? I just, well, my celebration cigar was late. It arrived today because I was hoping to pull out, uh, something from that Opus 22 box, yeah. but, uh, I did pull out a Opus 888, which I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, and smoke that after we actually kind of did it live in the hearth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chris and the guys streamed the Mars landed. Uh, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that Chris and Ben, both being space enthusiasts, have allowed me to uh, share the things that I get to do uh, with the folks uh, with the folks in the hearth. I mean, even at our Little Rock. Uh, COVID didn't allow me to be at the rocket test. Uh, I actually spent the last year or so uh, working with a group of guys in uh, Louisiana and Mississippi prepping to test our new moon and Mars rocket. And the day of our hearth, I had to make a choice where I was going to be, and I chose to be at the hearth. And they actually tested uh, our new moon and rise spark. We did our hot fire test, and we kind of did that. Again, we did that kind of. On my phone, I pulled the stream up of a live test uh, from the facility, and we watched it in the hearth uh, in Little Rock. So uh, it's been great that you guys allow me to share some of the things uh, that I do here. And that's how my my moniker on Discord, IG, and several other uh, places, why I refer to myself as a space snoop, is, is a combination of two things I really love. I absolutely love the job I get to do uh, in my fraternity. So uh, all it is is an underscore between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love them all the same. And they mean uh, more to me than I can actually even tell you. So what, what, got, you, what got you into you know, the, the NASA and the space exploration and just astrology and stuff like that? Uh, I can tell you it was all by accident. Uh, I was... I was always told I was going to medical school. My father's a physician, my brother, every male person in my family in the last two generations has been a doctor or a dentist up until me. And I was on that path, uh, was getting ready for the first year of medical school. And then I couldn't decide if I was doing that for my dad or I. And I was going to take a year off and actually applied for a job and got a job working with a, a contractor to NASA on their commercial side. Uh, then they saw I had some talent and moved me over to the NASA side working on the space shuttle. Uh, and when I got there, it was just like college, except you got paid. You got tall buildings, real smart people. And but more importantly, you had people in the history books. My first day when I showed up on the uh to go review something at a meeting. I sat down and John Young came down and sat right next to me. And I, uh, you know, it was a humbling experience that I was sitting next to one of the 12 people that walked on the moon. 
And so that just, that actually made me very excited. Uh, and to actually take that as not as something to do in the interim while I'm trying to make a decision about how I want to further my education. And it became just an absolute passion. So I have spent my career uh, working initially on the space shuttle. And since 93, I transitioned and I've been working on the space station. I'm currently the manager of what we call our ISS computer resources uh, within our avionics and software. So we actually do all the guidance, navigation, command, uh, common track and command and control flight software, hardware, all the onboard networks. And I, uh, for me, I have the onboard networks, all the operational software, and new technology, and a lot of things that we do for crew psych support. Um, probably some of the cool things. Uh, I basically had to kind of wire it, make sure the space station was set up so we could have open internet access, so the crew could have that as a way of psychological support and providing tools and assets to make them feel at home because it's not only a place for them to work, it's a functioning laboratory, but it's also where they live. So you have to figure out not only how to have keep the spacecraft operating, but to keep them psychologically stable. Uh, and not so much stable, but happy and enjoying where they are because they're spending anywhere from three to six months there. And so I've just had a wonderful opportunity to try and make a difference in uh, technology and science, but more so uh, to learn, uh, develop my own talent, but to develop other people's talent and to enrich them. So as we get into the leadership aspect of that, uh, that is probably where I love the most. And one of the things I'm trying to develop now is a leadership program at our local level to grow a number of people that work for me and throughout our organization. Because uh, I actually spent the last two years in our agency-wide uh, system engineering and leadership development program. Uh, and so I want to take some of the things that I learned out of there, plus through life experience and really try and grow and shape our next generation of folks that want to do this kind of work. That's awesome. I, you, know, you and I have had some really serious leadership conversations. Um, I know this is a passion for you. How did, I mean, I, 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 I hear how you, you, you know, got hooked into this being excited about, about the technology. How did you get excited about the leadership challenge? It's a, it's a different thing, right? How did you get, how did you get excited about that? Uh, it actually started more so just say within my family. And the expectations that my, not only my father, but my mother and my extended family, uh, and what they were able to do. Uh, some started school systems in East Texas. Others had, you know, phenomenal careers and they had to come up through different challenges through segregation and became, you know, leaders in their absolute field. And it, it really started with a quote, with some things that my father would tell me, uh, and he would challenge you about why be average? Because if you're average, it means you're replaceable. But uh, as, as my father was one of the first African-Americans to graduate from the University of Texas medical school system, he was probably the number three in total. Uh, the class ahead of him had uh, two. Uh, wow. But he really pushed you to 
look to grow into leadership and to face opportunities and challenges and not be afraid of them. And that really kind of motivated me to want to do something. Uh, because he said, you can make a difference. And you don't always have to be in the top box to be an effective leader. Uh, it's really, because there's two ways that people, two people, two ways that people follow people. It's either because they're organizationally in a higher spot or it's from a form of respect and they want to follow you. And I always wanted to be in a ladder. So one, understanding some of the core values of leadership that, that are present and what drives and motivates uh, you, um, but also the humility to know that you aren't the smartest person about everything and being smart enough to know what you don't know and smart enough to know how to respect others and get the best out of other people. Because I can, you know, you can add people to anything and it's not going to make you more uh, effective or productive. But if you can energize that group of people that you have in a vision, because it actually starts with a vision and then you start breaking out your objective and key results after that. But if you can get people to see your vision, and, and one of the things I always tell my team is you need to tilt your head back and see the horizon because so many po people focus on such a unique or small pattern of what they think success is. They don't really see that big picture. And if I can help them to see that big picture to get to the end result, then I'm doing what I like to measure all my people by. Performance, uh, performance evaluations for me are easy. It's either you're effective or you're not. Okay? And it doesn't matter what your title is. If they consider you to be effective, then you can do anything you want to. Um, but if you're not, my biggest goal is to drive you back to that so I can get people to change their perception of that in particular employee. Because then that's how, then I can say I'm effective at that point. Wow. I love the, the comment about leaning back and looking at the horizon. That's you know, um, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. So um, that's because uh, you and I have talked about leadership. There, There's a lot to unpack there, and I'm unpacking, uh, trying to figure out. Um, I love the leaning back and looking at the horizon. So one of the things, you and I are the same age, and so um, <laughs> pretty close to the same age. And so one of the things when I was a younger leader slash manager, because we all grow, right, um, and we, you start as a manager, you can't help it, right? That's what you, that's the role they put you in. That's the way you learn. And as you become a leader, one of the things at some point you learn is you have to look farther down the road, right? That you have to lift your eyes. And that's a, that's, well, that's a great turn of phrase that you need to look back and look at the horizon, lean back and look at the horizon. See, I, I wrote down if you're average, you're replaceable. Yeah. Um, that is, um, that, that was a, that was another piece of gold in that. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I run Monday morning meetings at the wood shop just to, you know, line up everything. What we have to plan do short sprint for the week, right? Yeah. Just to, you know, because it's chaotic, you know, and you know, just like, it's not the same field where like we try not to have very being mess ups because it's a, it's a. Built it's expensive. It's in a built product. It's expensive. So yeah. I try to drive my guys to, you know, make every move count. Yep. Mess ups are going to happen. It's yep. inevitable. It's how can you adapt from them? 
But just like me, where I expect the highest level of confidence and capability out of me, I expect that out of my guys as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm, I'm tough on me, then I'm tougher on me than anybody else will ever be as tough on me, but I'm tough on them too, because I know what they're capable of doing. And I don't want average average. If you want average, go to fucking home Depot. We're not average. I don't produce average. I don't want to show average. I'm not in magazines to be average. I'm in them to be the best I can be. So that, that phrase right there, that is being told that is, that is being told tomorrow morning. If you're average, right. you're replaceable. Yeah. But, and, and the other thing my dad used to share, and I've shared this in the herf and, and Mark, as you know, uh, we, we share a lot of life lessons in there as other people. And we, people bring stuff to the hearth because they're facing the challenge. And I try to share even a lot of times through humor, but really try and share some of the gold that people have shared with me. I've had some of, some of the most amazing mentors, uh, in the world. And a lot of them were key figures in Apollo 13. Uh, the system engineer, John Aaron, that, created a way to kind of clean out the carbon dioxide. Uh, John Garman, who was the guy that figured out in the software they were changing why this particular bus B was going, how to help and make sure they could get home. Those are some great mentors for me, but a lot of it comes from uh, right at home with my dad. Uh, he was both my father and my hero and best friend. Uh, but one of the things that, because being a minority, you can be judged based on appearance and, and that can happen with anybody. It's not limited just to if you're a particular minority, but just in people, the way human nature is people first judge you by what they see. So my father would always say, would teach you that, you know, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be considered good, be great. If you want to be considered great, be exceptional. If you want to be exceptional, just circle this down and be the best one there is. <laughs> right. Uh, and what you do, you know, uh, but he would always challenge you to make sure that you could uh, push yourself and believe in yourself that you can do anything you want. And one of the things that I tell my kids, uh, don't ever allow yourself to think that you can't do something. Uh, it's only because one, if you haven't, it's only because you haven't tried it yet or you haven't learned it yet. But people make the, make things harder than they actually have to be because they think it's hard. But once you open your mind to say, hey, I want to learn something, you can learn it. Your mind wants to make you right. It doesn't want you to be a liar. So if you say something's hard, your mind's going to make it hard uh, because you just stop all learning at that point. So, you know, part of what Aaron was just saying that he wanted to say something to his employees um, it's really the difference between a lot of this is just raw exposure. Uh, as a manager or a leader, even as a young one, you've been exposed to something and you see the next level of thought because there's a different level of information that's flowing between the organization at different levels and how and why you make certain decisions. But I try and expose them to here is why we're doing this and how it plays into a much bigger picture. So they get that view of the horizon. Yep. Because they're not used to looking at it, so you start to teach them early. So it's, I use a real simple example, like if you're if you were in the workspace, I pick a floor tile or a piece of carpet square, 
And I said, if you focus long enough there, you can tell me every piece of color that's in that particular carpet. But if I ask you a bigger part of the process, you won't even see it. So if I ask you what the room looks like, you could tell me. So I asked them to tilt back and tell me what they actually see. And you realize how small a piece that actually is. So, but it's a great thing when you say tilt your head back and you see the horizon and you can see what the world's really offering. So there's different phrases that go along with it, but it's real simple because you want them to see something bigger than themselves or even the role we play in that. Yep. No, that's definitely, it's definitely, it's one of the things that I had to adjust to was seeing a broader perspective. Um, And it's one of those things where you, when you see the broader perspective, you put things into perspective on importance and a lot of things, but you also see a lot more. So with more data points you get, you get more understanding, right? So um, that's definitely true. Um, I, I, uh, you and I have talked about our fathers and I know your father's passed. My, my father still is alive. Um, but, um, and, uh, it is amazing how influence, influential your parents are in your life. Um, just because of the life lessons they teach, um, you know, the, the lessons I learned from my mother, um, about how to, 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 to treat people and, and, and all of that. And the, the lessons I learned from my father on those, uh, it's really remarkable. I've met like you, have, I haven't met famous people like you have, but the great people who've been in my life, they, they're influential. But in the end, if you think about those two people and the diff- the family differences, my grandparents and all those people and the differences they make in your life. Um, it is, it is astounding at times how much influence they have totally on the way the things that are important to you might to my dad leadership um your dad and my dad would have got along great by the way um not surprisingly um because uh, he's the same thing right he's uh, he's a big go go forth and make go make the world a better place right and go go you go be that change right um i, I yeah, keep, sure. and so I, 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 as you're describing your dad i'm thinking that I need to call my dad tomorrow. So uh, I'll call my mom tonight. So uh, I, I will call both my parents this week because um, it, it is remarkable how much influence they have on your life. And and I can say this just because I said, you know, you're at a phase in life where uh, a lot of, a lot of people transition for you, but uh, they may, they may have made a phase change, as I like to say it from, you know, body to uh, however you believe if there's an afterlife or anything like that but they live every day through me and I see the influence that they have on my ch- my, my children and lessons my children learn yeah. you know you know my son looks just like my dad so you know I see him every day and you know he still talks to me because I know if I if I ask him a question pretty sure I know what response I would get <laughs> both good and bad <laughs> uh, or the challenge he would give me to to really rethink something, uh, but no, uh, like I said, there are there are people that fill gaps for me like that. Mark, you're one of them. Uh, for things that I look for in my dad, I see in other people. Uh, I see some of that in you. Uh, definitely see it in Nigel. Uh, 
Uh, and so you guys fill different gaps for me, even though, the, even though we're probably more brothers, you know, age wise, we're brothers. Yeah. Uh, but there's a maturity and a life experience that I look up to you for. But, uh, one of the things I was going to share with you, uh, is people overcomplicate management too. So if we can go, because there's a distinct difference. One is just you're managing tasks to get to a certain level of production. But leadership is how you grow people and you set a vision and try and uh, create something. Uh, but if you have a new employee, you should. I only have three rules when people come to work for me. Uh, one, they have to show up, meaning they have to be present. Because if they're not present, they can't do anything for me. Two, they need to do whatever is within their ability to perform at their best. Okay. Okay. My job, and I will say perform at their best and make me look good. And then my job is the inverse of that. I am supposed to be that person that does my best to empower them, give them the tools that they need so they can be at their best. It's not, it's not any more complicated than that. So you don't need to say, here's all these rules to work. Just come to work, do your best, and I'm going to make sure that I give you every opportunity to do that. And I'm only going to measure measure you by whether you're being effective or not. If you're not, I'm going to help coach you to get you through whatever obstacle you are, and I'm going to take out those in front of you so that you can perform at your best. So it doesn't get that. It's not that complicated. Yeah. It's just you have to have a level of understanding. You know, I always joke about saying good understanding, but that comes in so many uh and I say that it revolves in, in, about relationships, but this is just a different kind of, kind of one when you have one there because you always have to be vested. And the same way I do with corporate uh, partners, you know, I'm never a customer. I'm always a partner because if you're not vested in my success, then I don't need to work with you because I'm going to do something to help make sure that you're successful in your role. But if I'm investing time, money, and effort, into you, I need to make sure you're equally committed to making sure that I'll be successful. Yep. And I walked away from companies because of that. But I, I always put a challenge and lay down the gauntlet with uh, employees, uh, both employees and corporate partners, so they were on that same kind of page. Yeah, we and you and I um, spent some time talking because I had been grinding on a particular problem that wasn't going well for me. And, uh, we are about the same age. We're more brothers, like you said, but you, you mentored me through that. You were talking about, you've done everything you can, you have prepared, you've done everything you can texted me a couple of times in a week that was really bad for me. And you kept saying, you've done everything you can, you've done all your homework. So just let it, let it be what it's going to be, you know, quit, quit letting it bother you. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the kind of mentoring I needed at that point, and uh, it was well-received. I appreciated it um, more than you know that week because at some point I got to let it go. Um, and that um, this is the part which we talk about, um, you know, men being, you know, are, and it doesn't necessarily need to be men, but just adults supporting each other, talking about stuff. But you saw me grinding on it a little too hard and, and sort of, Pulling it, you need it. You just, uh, I appreciated those words. So you were trying to own a, you were trying to own a problem that wasn't yours, and you wanted to solve the problem that he had. Yeah, but you couldn't solve that problem for him because it was much deeper than that. 
Yep. That's a hundred percent. You were actually, and you were too close at it because it was emotionally tearing you apart. It was, you know, I always told you, I, I look for a couple of mannerisms from you. You know, if you got the cigar in one hand, this hand is free. I know you're all good. <laughs> if it's one hand on the head, I know you're just thinking about it, but if there are two hands on that head and you're facing down, I, I know you're grinding on something that's just yeah. really easy. So I'm going to yeah. ask you about it. Yep. I was grinding on That was a rough week. Was well, that? It's that. It's just that. Uh, that point when you can be vulnerable and have people come in and just say stuff. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. You know it. I don't know how to word it correctly. It's just. It's just that. It's just that segment of vulnerability in your life, whether it be work related, relationship related, or anything else. But yep. there's most people have gone through the same certain thing. So they all have a little bit of life advice to go through that same thing. Yeah. Well, I, that advice was well received cause I was not handling that very well. So as I hiccup, um, as uh, I was not handling that very well cause I didn't really have a clean answer for that. That was part of the problem. Um, and, uh, so, but yes, um, th- that's the challenge. I mean, it, <clears throat> I, I am, I'm fascinated by the simplification, right? It's, it's, uh, you need to come and be ready to work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to give everything you can to succeed. And I need to get to give you all the tools necessary to succeed. And if you're not, then we need to talk about what we need to change to give you and get you in the position to succeed. There's a simplicity to that, which I like because there's a lot of corporate stuff, which overcomplicates all of that. Right. But it's all about being effective. If you're being effective, see, then that's that's a win, right? And nobody's ever going to ask you your job title either, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but I came from the corporate. I I started out in the corporate, then went to the government, uh, left NASA, and went to Lockheed for two years, and then came back to the government. So. Uh, you know, uh, having having to manage and lead when you are judged solely by your profit and loss is very different than working for the government. Yeah, and yeah. so when you're always given money, it's just like a kid. If you earn money, you have a different perspective on it versus when you're given money. So it's the difference between an allowance and having to go earn that. So you think very differently. Uh but I've always taken that same mentality back in. I will always manage within my budget. And I feel like if I manage and I save money, that means I have other opportunities to do more work. Uh, and that way, if somebody looks at it, they say, well, hell, he's being effective. But then it also gives me the freedom to be able to do what I want to do within those projects and tasks. That is, you know, it is because um, I've been on both sides because I've worked for state government as well. State government is um, different than the federal government, but it's the same, you know, on the on that. It is a different perspective. That's that is <laughs> that is so true. So people we're, won't come take your budget if you manage it effectively. They will come for the people that don't yeah, manage oh, yeah. their budget and will take it away. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh no, that right there, that there's the is the stone cold truth, as they say. <laughs> if you're getting it done and you're managing within your budget, they'll, they'll look somewhere else, right? Because they know. Um, 
So, yeah, where do you, I mean, because you, you obviously have a really good sense of leadership. Where do you do your learning at for, for leadership? Where do you go to learn more about? I know you, you and I, have Nigel, had a lot, have a lot of talk about books that we've read and all of that. But so is it just books or where do you, where uh, do you learn about leadership? Uh, we actually have a leadership academy uh, through NASA uh, where we do both project management and leadership. And like I said, I got to do the highest one that they did in the, in the agency where it is across the entire agency where they want to oh, groom uh, all their future leaders. And that's where I said, I just spent the last two years. Uh, but NASA offers quite a bit of opportunity for that leadership. Uh, then there's also just a practical application, but, uh, I'm a, my number one strength is learning. So I do seek it out from, uh, books, but also seek out leaders that I admire and I will go ask the shadow. Uh, you know, I've gotten to be a senior manager, uh, but I will go shadow with, uh, the next level. Cause there's only one more level for me to get to, but the folks at the senior executive level. Uh, which I have aspirations to be. Uh, so I shadow. Like I said, when I did the leadership program, people were trying to find people to shadow. I, I went to the administrator. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, "There's if I start at the top, uh, everything has a downward view from there, and I can see everything I want to see, and I can see how they make the decisions that affect not only the things I do, but affects everything that happens within the agency. So uh, I went and shadowed them for a couple of days. Uh, but I do seek out that because, like I said, it keeps coming back to exposure. So I look at different techniques and styles. Uh, but I will tell you, and I'll share something with you offline too, but one of the best life coach and leadership uh, persons I had was my, my coach in my class. Uh, a beautiful person by the name of Cindy Zook. And it was much more, they tried to change our leadership model because we all get the technical. Everybody knows how to go do that. We can go solve a problem. NASA's better. We do a lot of development, but we're the best. I think we do really well at problem solving. Give us a problem. People know how to rally around a problem, focus, solve it. Uh, But really, the people aspect, the leadership is hard for people that are truly technical. Uh, And that's where I have been able to absolutely thrive from because I get the people part of it. Uh, I absolutely love it. And in my graduation speech from our leadership uh, program, you know, I talk about people being our greatest assets. It is the place where all the history exists, all the knowledge exists, whatever tools, machines, rockets, whatever you say we want to build, those are great, but they live and die. But that information and those assets are what, where all the, uh, brilliance comes from. So, uh, I definitely love the people part of it uh, and trying to figure out how to get the best of each individual. And I always know that there's something I can learn from each person. So I actually make it a two way thing as I'm trying to lead, I'm trying to grow my next leaders. So uh, a lot of it comes from practical application, but also like I said, seeking information from others is probably the best way I know how to go do it and trying to follow a different example and tailor it to my own style. That's great. That <clears throat> NASA sounds like, I mean, first of all, you got to walk in there. It's got to be just rooms full of super smart people, right? 
like you said, problem solvers everywhere. Uh, well, uh, it takes all different kinds. I mean, uh, like I said, it's not, we have a lot of engineers, scientists, and other things, but to make this whole thing work, it's just like any other major corporation. I mean, from the oh. contract, uh, for the procurement officers, contract managers, to the lawyers, because okay. we all got them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there is, you know, I always like it compared to like the wartime economy or like this, because it, it does take everyone from the janitor to the chief engineer to the administrator. It all starts with a vision and it takes a people to make it happen. And, and I can show you, I mean, we talked about the Mars landing uh, last week that's here, but the program that I spend my most time working on, uh, the International Space Station, uh, the Discovery Channel named it the number one uh, engineering feat of all time, not because of just the complexity of what you did, but because of the complexity that we did it with 16 nations, language being you know, English, we said, is our common language, but there were, you know, the European component had 15 different countries in it. You know, all the human relations that had to get there to do that. Uh, we got thrust into working with the Russians uh, under the Clinton administration to help try and grow that relation. Uh, and the, one of the best things I can tell anyone that ever had is the opportunity to work with people from around the world. Uh, the world seems huge, but having the opportunity to work and learn from other areas uh, has really just kind of absolutely changed my whole life and how I view people. Uh, the people that told me we weren't supposed to like the Russians, they are some of the most uh, smartest. And if I look by country of origin, uh, they are probably the best system, uh, system engineers I've seen in terms of when they used to build spacecraft, it had to have every, each individual module had to have everything that it needed because they never knew when they were going to have money. Uh, and I always relate them back to governments. Uh, in the U.S., we built, we design our stuff like a federation, meaning that uh, it's not fully built until all pieces are there because they can't, the system doesn't have all capability until all the pieces are there. But everything that the Russians would build per module had everything it needed for that thing to actually exist because they never knew if the other component would ever get there because uh, they'd run out of money. Uh, the Italians, I loved working with them because not only as engineers, but they, their mindset is that they're true artisans and they, they believe it. So if they were going to build a door, it'd be the best door you could build. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just that cultural things that you learn from other places, just, uh, you know, working with a Japanese, uh, you know, it's just, it, it is something that's unique that we get to do in this particular industry because it is the, like they would say in Star Trek and other movies, you know, the next frontier uh, and people's quest for knowledge about it. Because uh, I got to go down to Australia as they were forming their first, uh, their first, I'll, I'll get to their National Space administration as they wanted to say it because they were the, they said they were the only civilized nation that didn't have their own space agency so I got to go down there and help them uh, formulate that so uh, but it is it's 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 a neat thing to be able to work with people from around the world and get their perspective because uh, if you only limit to the way that we as Americans see it we're in trouble <laughs> 
because uh, we definitely believe we we definitely believe we're the best at any and everything. <laughs> and in our mind, that can be true. In reality, it could also be true. But I said there are people, there are brilliant people all over the world that make stuff happen. Right. And no, that's uh, wow. That opportunity to work with other countries, especially their people, their their they're rocket scientists in, es- in essence, right? They're smart engineers. That That's amazing. And see, I mean, I think I hadn't really thought about the, you would think engineers would work the same, right? They would solve problems the same way. And you're saying, uh, hell to the no. You're saying that completely different approaches because of the cultural differences, because of the real... Uh, pol- political differences, you know, governmental differences in the case of Russia. That's, that's to me, is ju- I'm, I'm now going to ponder that all night. Because <laughs> it, it still just comes down to money. Yeah, no, I mean, they, of course it would. <laughs> right, no, I mean, you say it and then you go, well, of course, that totally makes sense, right? I mean, you build, you build houses different than Arkansas than you do in Texas. I think we found that out recently yeah. where you do in Illinois and <laughs> in, in, in New York, in Buffalo, New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> some of that's logical and some of that's economic and some of that's whatever. And you'd say it, you say that now and they're you go, of course. They're prepared for winter. They're prepared for winter and we clearly are not, <laughs> right? We're just, we're just slightly more than Texas. Right. We were talking about basements last night and they go, Do you, oh, you guys have basements in Arkansas. And you, no, we don't. No, nope. And well, they do in Missouri. Yes, they do. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's just these, you, you think about well, they, some, in some ways. Nobody well, wants to dig through all that clay. Nobody, 100%. Well, here, here it's rock. <laughs> yeah, well, it's clay on top of rock, yeah. and then it's, and then it would flood. Yeah, it's just, we needed better, better terraforming, you know, long time ago. Yeah. Well, in Missouri, they just have dirt. Yeah, just, yeah. I guess every house has a basement and an attic fan. And an attic fan. Those are glorious. I mean... Jeez, I didn't realize that we crossed into attic, the glory of attic fans. Okay. <laughs> we'll just take a moment to acknowledge the glory of attic fans. On a nice, no. like, crisp spring. Okay. You know, like, no, I'm not. Turn that attic fan I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, just I didn't realize this ha- was the moment where we did that. Your house becomes a giant vacuum. It does. It does. No, I, I don't disagree with you. Attic fans are nice. I was fascinated, and I'm I'm going to ask you to to go through this in a little detail. You were describing um, the the complexity of designing systems for outer space, and where people who are, don't design systems for outer space, like let's say the two uh, goofy guys on this end, <laughs> would fail quickly. Yeah. And you were describing uh, the complexity of that, especially when uh, air I, breathers are involved. I get I get aggravated if I lose Wi-Fi at the house. I can only imagine what it's like if you lose Wi-Fi at the yeah. International Space well, Station. Well, he wasn't even talking that level. <laughs> no, uh, and, and Aaron, I'll go to something real cool about that, and then I'll revert back to... Uh, what Mark was asking, but because I am responsible for provision of things that include the networks that include Wi-Fi, uh, and just think about it, 
you're trying when you're in your house it's pretty wide open but when you start to think about that you get a ton of reflections on the wi-fi because you're in a tin can mm -hmm. you start to think about this it's, it's bouncing all sorts of funny ways so yeah, you know we really have to spend a lot of time thinking about how we manage the wi-fi because uh you know make sure it's channelized properly because as we the space station has been operating for approximately 20 years now so everything we started out everything was wired so you had fully assured communications but to drive down costs now everything's wireless pretty much there are a lot of things that go up uh and for free people to save costs or you're using cot stuff it's already wireless and just trying to manage all the various devices but, you know, when you're having tons of reflections and you can't assure every signal with that being on the wireless, yeah, it can be a pain in the ass, too. Okay. Uh, because everybody wants it to work because the way they've always been trained, it's always work and there's redundancy. But, you know, everybody wants the Wi-Fi to work. And then, uh, but when you think of bigger communications on the space station, I mean, Ashton, we have this little thing on here that says where they're in calm or not. Uh, it's a little stoplight that's either red or green. And one of the challenges that we were given was to make sure that we had expanded coverage. So pretty much now through the 20 years, we've been able to expand that coverage to about 90% of the globe as it's orbiting. Uh, so they're in pretty much constant contact. And even though even the internet access we have is pretty much now when we first did it, you'd probably think it was about the the speed of a 96 baud modem. No kidding, just because of the translation and the latency that was happening as we're trying to bounce, these, bounce the internet access through satellites, these three satellites, and back to the ground in the return trip. Uh, but now we got that down to about 0.6. Uh, round trip is probably 0.6 seconds. So pretty much uh, now they have the equivalent of close to what you would say with low-speed broadband. Uh, so they're, you know, they're living life pretty good where they could stream live TV, uh, surf and do the things that they want with, all within our code of conduct, uh, to make their, their life better up there. So, yeah, but everybody hates when the Wi-Fi doesn't work or you get a <laughs> shitty signal. Uh, so they're up there watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during their off hours. Yeah. And we basically, we, we push first run movies. Uh, up to them. We do a lot yeah. of things for their psych support. So, uh, to make sure that they can, uh, in their off hours, they have it. So, you know, we even have, we had a company make us a very special type of screen that was non flammable that we could put up the effects, the effects of a screen that we use a projector for to give them the equivalent of a 65 inch TV for special features like the Super Bowl or movie. And then the stuff they use every day is like the equivalent of a 32 inch TV. Wow. But uh, going back to this, and I'm going to make this very simple for you, and I'm going to use the same parallel, Mark, to address what you asked for. I'm going to give you the same thing. Uh, I went down to Australia uh, to do a couple of things. Uh, I did a six-part series on the Discovery Channel with these students from RMIT University about, uh, and it was something that I did in correlation to an offshoot thing uh, with HP about education. And when they worked with me, we do certain things for education, but one of the things I encourage them to do is to do a form of outreach that we can't do. 
So they created some competitions for students and they were going to award them prizes and things like that. And I went down to judge and also be a, uh, I'll say a resident expert for them. Uh, and it was building a habitat on Mars. So, uh, I fly down and I get there and they're, they're all set to go give me their presentation of what they built. And it was really elaborate and it was nice. Uh, and I shared this thing in the Herf once or two times. So I said, I get down there and I ask them a couple of questions and they're telling me all about this. And I, my first question, is it going to be a man? Uh, I said, you built this habitat. Are you going to have, you know, is it going to be manned by people? And they're telling me all about the habitat. I said, well, what kind of system do you have for providing oxygen and air? They said, oh crap, we didn't do that. I said, well, you missed, I said, I'm not going to say your mission failed, but it's only going to last four minutes the first time you put somebody in there because <laughs> they won't be able to breathe. And then I keep walking down the path asking them, well, have you thought about water? They said, no. I said, well, your mission's only going to last three days. I said, have you thought about food? Because you got to sustain life somewhere. Your first mission, uh, no matter what you do, is always in a safety thing. Uh, if it's going to be manned, you have to sustain life. And so I said, I hadn't thought about food. I assume they're going to carry some, but hell, that's only going to last 30 days. So after 30 days, I can't stamp mission failure on depending on what your objective is. So uh, I kind of walked them back and said, let's really think about your design process. I said, you always have to think about what you don't have. So when you're trying to design something for low Earth orbit or as you go out into space, you've always designed something with on the ground with the presence of gravity or one atmosphere. And so you have to start to think about, well, if I'm in low Earth orbit or beyond, I don't have that. So how do I compensate for that? Okay, so just like I walked back with the students, I said, you can't breathe in their atmosphere. So how are you going to provide ways for a human to breathe? Okay. How are you going to provide water? We're made of 75% of it. We have to have it or you start to dehydrate and body functions start to fail uh, without water. Uh, if you don't have food, you got enough stored energy inside to last you for a while, but you need to feed the body to give it energy to function. And so if you haven't thought about that, you need to think about it. So the keep it simple model is start to think about what you don't have first and think about what you absolutely need, not what you want, but what you absolutely need and keep it that simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, and so they built this, you know, same thing about how are you going to heat it to provide heat? <laughs> you know, they built this wonderful, I'll call it a Taj Mahal because it's easy to draw it on paper <laughs> and on a computer to draft it, you know, but I'm like, you need to think about it costs so much money to take something to space. Think about it. It's on Mars. It takes you seven months to get there. Think of your cost of how you're going to transfer transfer all that weight from Earth to there. You only have so much room. Can you grow something? Can you do something? But you also have to provide, you know, thermal components. So I'm like, what do you have there that you could use to make that better? So I'm like, okay, have you thought about building it in ground? It's insulated at that point. So, no, but what I was getting at, Mark, you said saying something's really complex. you got to kind of break it down to, you know, they always say the KISS models and things like that. But I think it always starts with what you don't have and what you need. And most people don't know what they need because they always think about what they want. 
So, but if you break it down into the just the rawness of what is what are my most critical needs, once you solve that, then you could start to build something a little more elaborate after that if you have resources available. But uh, you know, life's real simple. We just overcomplicate it. I love that story. Uh, um, what and and I, I I do love that story and that was the exact story I wanted you in to tell um, the foundation. Once you build the foundation, then you can put other stuff on top of it, but without a solid foundation in a doable way, you have nothing to build on. And that's exactly what I hear in that story. And I, I know or it this, won't last or it won't last. <laughs> and I, I know that in space it's, it's a cool version of that story because it's all the complexity that space brings to it. But I think that's so applicable to what even Aaron and I do. You build something that's fundamentally sound to meet the base requirements, and then you build on top of it with what you do. You think about what Aaron does. You make sure that it it meets the base core requirements of what's, and then you can do the more elaborate stuff on base, but it has to meet the core requirements. And if it doesn't do that, all the fanciness in the world all the, the great flourishes and the fancy countertops and all that stuff doesn't make up for that, right? Yeah. It's got it's got to do what it needs to do, um, and uh, it's got to do that stuff well. So I love that yeah. story. I think I no, yeah. And Mark, the best way you know the simple models that you get about you know, and it's always in the reverse when they say you know what, when, how. You know, I'm like, okay, I always start with why. And I probably, when we're doing requirements to develop systems, whether it's software, whether it's hardware, it doesn't really matter. I always start with the question, why? And then I may ask it five times because most people don't know what they really want. You know, they'll tell you, or what they really need. They'll tell you a whole bunch about when they want something. They're going to tell you how, you know, what they want, you know, what it needs to be but they can't tell you why it needs to be that way. So I really try and drive people back into that simplicity of, if you can explain to me why you need it and just tell me when I got all the people that I can tell you about how we're going to do something at the end, you'll get what you want. And probably one of the highest compliments I've ever given, uh, given to me by my boss. He said, you know, he goes, you may not always give me what I want, but you damn sure give me what I need. Hundred percent. In the analytics world, there's um, that I I call it the but why theory. Okay, but why do you need that? But why? What? What's the question you're trying to answer? But why? In analytics, people say I, I need this. I need a report with this, and then I need a graph with this. But why? What's the question you're trying to answer? But why? What's the problem you're trying to solve? And um, a lot of times when you ask people, we say three times, five times probably better, but you keep asking somebody that question, but why, but why, what, what are you trying, but why, just explain to me why, so that I can make sure that I have this exactly tailored to the problem you're trying to solve. Um, and a lot of times when you end up at the end, the solution looks completely different. A lot of times the, the solution looks exactly the same, but if we all understand what you're trying to get to, we're all in a better spot. And that's, I think that's, that's a great problem solving technique. And it's, I, uh, 
in on my team, we call that the, but why, but why just tell me why, just tell me why. And then, then I'm in, in on problem solving with you. Right. So awesome. This has been a lot of fun. I want, I want to use that line tomorrow and be like, Hey, I need a new piece of wood, but why? And I fully expect to be like, uh, I cut it wrong. That's why. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Revert back to number one. <laughs> Revert back to number one. Well, I was excited um, to shift gears totally for a second um, to know that Stephen has met one of my idols. Who was that? Darius Rucker. He's one of my absolute favorite musicians. He, um, Darius sings Paula and I's couple song together. Every couple requires a song and he sings all right. He's one of my favorite country artists of all time. He's one of my favorite pop artists of all times. He's got one of the most amazing voices ever. I think he's one of the coolest. Hootie. (laughs) He is, uh, and I've told this story online, but I'm just, or on the podcast where I'm going to tell it again. We saw him a week after the shooting in Charleston at the church, and he sang a, a gospel hymn, a cappella, um, in front of, he did it in front of 20,000 people, and it was one of the most emotional moments I've ever seen in a concert. It was just not a dry in the place, man. That guy is just off the hook talented. So, and you have met him and I, you, um, and you've met him more than once. So how have you, how do you know him? Uh, I was very fortunate, probably starting 2004, probably, uh, actually with, Oh, a guy by the name of Pat Wise. His brother was uh, Pat White. His brother was his bro- uh, Pat's brother was Charlie White that used to work for the Patriots. Sure, uh, my doppelganger. But Pat, Charlie that's Weiss one of the reasons why like I said me. it. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I said it. But no, Pat actually, and it was with a group with Intel uh, in Lenovo, and it was a group of us that we'd all become friends and. Uh, we used to go down to the masters, uh, for a week, uh, they'd be down there for a week and I'd, well, I'd come stay for most of the week, but we all started, they ended up getting us opportunities to play in the Monday after the masters, which was, uh, Darius and Mark and the whole Hootie and the, that's their tournament that yeah. they play in, uh, Myrtle beach. And I got to do that for almost a decade. Wow. Uh, and you got to build relationships. And, and when I tell you the music world used to be in there, uh, and I just used to love going down there because we go, it, it, what I would call it being my, my fantasy week for, for life. For that week, I, I didn't know if I had to travel anywhere else, no matter what I had to do, but I would always take that week off, fly down to Augusta Tuesday night, we'd have dinner, and then we go to the, oh, Monday, yeah. Tuesday, I get there in the morning. We go watch practice rounds. A uh, couple weeks, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd always capture the uh, first weekend. By Saturday, we were going down to Myrtle Beach uh, for the tournament, play a practice round, have fun uh, Sunday, and then play the tournament Monday, and they'd have concerts. But uh, through that experience, 
uh, got to meet him a number of times uh, with that. And as you come around more often than not, you know, people get to know you. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a people person. And, uh, and like I said, I, when I meet you, uh, I make you my friend right up front. Uh, and just got to develop some type of, you know, a casual relationship. And I'm not going to try and say it's anything more than that. Uh, but through that experience, you know, really got to enjoy uh, him. The concerts that were there would be phenomenal. <laughs> you know, I got to meet a lot of the golf greats, you know, from DJ when he was on the mini tours. Uh, John Daly, you know, just got to hang around and be with a lot of good folks uh, awesome. and a lot, of, a lot of celebrities. But got to make a lot of friends through that, uh, through those experiences because it was something you did on a regular basis and it was some of the best times I can tell you I've ever had. Uh, you know, it just, it's, you know, because sometimes you're rooming next to these guys because they would give us a condo the whole time we were there. And one year I had Samuel Jackson as the, my con, my neighbor next door. <laughs> and if I can tell you, you know, I like to get the herf and I like to talk a lot of shit in the herf. Uh, because I said I found my tribe the Sunday I joined in. I'll never forget the Sunday I joined the Hearth. You know, as any as every newcomer comes, Nigel did my welcome. <laughs> and from that point, I just, I, you know, I sat there and I kind of listened the first day. And I said, oh, hell, this just ain't a bunch of people smoking and talking shit. This ain't any different from <laughs> my regular guys. So, you know, I ripped the Band-Aid off and jumped in. But that's the same way that happened uh, with the crew of guys that we would go there. Because, uh almost all the same people showed up and uh it was just a and i said probably one of the best people i ever got to play with was probably uh mark lie used to be you know regular tour senior tour but uh when you play with those guys that's a whole nother level yep you know at one point i i thought i was i was pretty good you know playing with the fellas i i could i could i could move my ball and do my thing yeah but that's a whole nother level when he told me the GPS was wrong and he was right. <laughs> Mark Lye said, damn it. I hit it. 90. He goes, the GPS said 91. He hit it. He said he hit it. He said, damn it. I knew I hit it 91. Exactly. And that's a whole nother. And he was about 11 yards off on the GPS was off by 11 <laughs> yards. Cause he made him bring another cart with a new GPS and it, it measured wrong. And he pulled out something out of his bag. He said, damn it. I told you I hit it 91, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a total different game that they play. Yeah. But, uh, Darius is probably just going back to that because I've also had the opportunity not only at that tournament, but through that same group of people, uh, some private events that he came and sang and they would ask for ballads for him to sing other things other than country and pop. Mm-hmm. That raspy voice makes mm-hmm. it, so unique uh, to something else. And I said, you know what? And, and Aaron, you probably don't know this, but when Mark do that on the hearth and his, you know, Mark's, you know, just saying, y'all probably don't like this. And I'm like, man, don't ever under <laughs> ever underbase anybody in the hearth because all I did was start pulling up all the Darius Ruckers and saying, I can sing it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made then, a, a stereotypical uh, mistake there, which I've made here in the, the shop too. Cause like uh, yeah. Desi and, and all those guys are, are big fans too. Yeah. And I just, 
But yeah, I just don't think. But the only one that's not a fan is Zoe. Right, Zoe. On the other <laughs> hand, did not like it at all that night. Because I, I literally, yes. we were streaming it through, you know, through the same Bose headset. I just stood on the speaker, and we were having a great time. That Zoe came in and shut it down. He did. But uh, on a different note, I know his song is all right, but I said I, I was trying to teach him a new school way to flirt with Paula. Yeah. And I wrote I wrote him a text message in his for his from his voice to Paula. Yeah. And it was Darius Rucker's uh this all yeah. about whatever happened in life that brought me to this to be with you. Yeah. And that whole song is just phenomenal. So I hope you add that to your repertoire with Paula. I, di- I did. I sent it to her. It was every stop sign did. that I missed, every uh yeah. girl I, I did and didn't kiss led me to this. It's Darius is amazing. I mean, he first of all, he's written a ton of that stuff. Um, he's he's just man. He's just one of those guys. Um, I just he and if you haven't seen him live or Hootie and the Blowfish, who I've seen several times, just a ton of fun. Just one of those guys who translates very well live. Just very te- they're very good live. Some bands don't oh, translate man. as well live, but they they no. they they're fun. Of a certain age, they were everybody's college band yeah. at some point. And yeah. I went to their 25th anniversary tour uh, right there in the front row. Mm. One of the best things I've ever been to. Now, I always say going to see Michael Jackson with my mom oh, was one of the best ass. concerts. Or even Prince or just anybody that is a brilliant, not just musician, but a true entertainer. Yeah. Uh, is an experience, and that's what I had to put Darius in that category. Yeah, I agree. I have not seen Michael Jackson, and I'm still bitter that we didn't go see Prince in Vegas. And now I'm going to text message a couple of FUs to some people uh, that kept that from happening. Because, <laughs> uh, <coughs> you know, we could have seen him in a 500-person club, club in Vegas. But yeah. I'm not bitter much still about that 15 years later. No, I'm totally fucking bitter about that. <laughs> he used to play at the top of the Rio. Man, that would have been the coolest thing. Prince, Prince well, is the well, man. Well, hey, I, I can't see Queen, so we all we all have that one band. Sure, sure. Man, when my son when my son came home one day and he was learning different instruments, but uh, he brought up Queen and like son, I grew up on that too. <laughs> Queen's like, great, and he just brought. You know, I can go a bunch of different places. Rush is one of my all-time favorites. I mean, I'm a hardcore uh, R&B, jazz, but there are a few things that I really like. And if I, if I, for Charlie and the guys in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, Rush, Crown Royal, and, you know, Pamela Anderson were probably the best three things that came out of Canada. <laughs> those are, those are pretty, three pretty good things. I'm not going to argue that point. Hockey. Hockey's pretty good. Yeah, I can't talk hockey with Charlie. No, boy, he gets excited. Though, it, it would go, it would go on for it would. It's dominated the herf a few times lately. But uh, I love seeing Charlie's enthusiasm because I have the same one when it comes to football. Yeah. So it has the same one when it comes to baseball. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, something that we were talking about different things in leadership, and I'm just kind of circling back yeah. for a couple of things. And I just want to acknowledge this about the Herf and some of the very special people that are in there. This collection of people that we have in LCC, uh, 
the diversity of just the people, diversity of occupations, but there's really not a problem that we can't find somebody in the hearth that has that as an expertise. And it's one of the things that I admire about it because I said, as a student of wanting to learn and just making observations, uh, we have some very talented uh, people, not just with life skills, but just what they do as a profession. Because there are just a number of people here that I, in the hearth that I that I've already made notes and actually talked to some of them about uh, that I'd want to bring in to talk to my team as an expert in a particular area. You know, Pablo's one of those when it comes to things that are relevant about just really the IT security and some of the other things. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's some really fascinating people once we get past, you know, the cigar, you know, and you take time to actually get to know the person behind the cigar. Yeah. There's some amazing people there. And, you know, I love what you guys do with the straight cut. Uh, you know, for the longest I heard about it, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it wouldn't be something you and I would even talk about. But then, you know, once I started kind of listening, you know, my admiration for you guys grew even more. But it's just, you know, between the herb, the straight cut and just the normal conversations that we share, I mean, that's where I get my source of entertainment these days. It's <laughs> not from TV. It's not from another thing. Uh, but in the bonds that we shared all the times, man, I just love what you guys do. Thank you. And get a chance to come to Little Rock and actually be a you know a Conway with you guys. I hate I didn't get to see the other shop, uh, but I will make a point to come just yeah. because you know come spend some time with you. Yeah, we we definitely need to have you back up. We also need to come your direction. Um, oh. I am working on that. Uh, Chris is actually going to be in Texas, so I'm trying to work on a Texas herf because he's, okay. he's coming in October. Uh, there's an F1 race that he and those Zoe are going to come to, Austin. and yep. it's going to be in Austin. And so, you know, for a number of the guys uh, that are based in Texas and regionally, uh, I want to host it in Austin. I'm a member of a B&M down there, too. Okay. Uh, the Habano House. Oh, uh, and they have two uh, locations, uh, one closer to downtown and one in North Austin. But I got to kind of see where the logistics are. But uh, Chris gave me the go ahead to try and start pulling it together. So I'm going to start trying to create a Texas herf. Yeah. We're in. F1, F1 season starts March 26th. Yeah. Well, you're not going. Uh, yeah, I'm going. Okay. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, you know, hell, between, <laughs> I'm just glad I finally have somebody to talk F1 about with Chris and Zoe. Yeah, so we're in for sure. Count us in for that for so, sure. So uh, I think the race is October 22nd through 24th. Chris's only limitations, it couldn't be around the race. So I'm trying to figure out dates, uh, <laughs> but definitely want to try and see if we can pull something together around that okay. time just because, you know, key folks will be there and yeah. it's a lot to do. Yeah, because the and race is only one can, day, but you have, you have time trials, you have practice. Those are all, that's all part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's all during the day. So we got the whole night. So that's why I said I didn't think there should be a limitation because while he's watching that, we could be smoking and talking. But yeah. Chris doesn't want to miss anything. So, uh, but definitely if we can pull that together, uh, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that sounds like fun. I really want to pull that together in October time frame because after going to one, I don't want to miss another one. So, uh, but yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to Vegas. Absolutely. Vegas sounds like a lot of fun. Paul and I are still debating that. 
Um, if we can get the vaccine done in time, I think we'll go. So, cool. Well, I am done with my cigar. Do we want to wrap up the cigar? Yeah, we can wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm done with mine as well. Um, I mean, it's just I mean, what can you say? I've bad been talking to. You still got some left? I got a little bit of. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking. But I, I can definitely understand why you like this and the difference for me between the 888 and the Shark. Uh, on the retro, I get a little more of the pepper in here for me. Yep. Uh, and for the seven seven, it is just because of the ratio of tobacco. I get a lot more of the sweetness in it. Uh, and it for me that unique flavor since they aged it in the uh, cognac barrels and stuff like that. It is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I definitely understand why this is your all time yep. number one. Yep. It is a great cigar. It, it it didn't let me down tonight. It was awesome. Well, and it, and it's kind of and this cigar kind of happened by chance because they were out of the wrapper that they used for the uh, the Opus line, and Carlos Junior was like, "Well, let's use a yeah. Connecticut Broadleaf instead," yeah. and that's how the Añejo just hmm, kind of came, came to be. You're so around. full of stuff. And this is my wheelhouse. But- but you know, that's sort of like the Lost City. It was something that came by accident. It was uh-huh. something for a movie set, and they thought they were going to trash it, so they had to convince them that it would be great to smoke. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to let it go, Aaron. And, yeah, let it go. <laughs> I was going to ask Aaron what movie that was for, but I, I'm going to let that pass. The joke was like seven, like 70 episodes ago. It was like 70 episodes ago, <laughs> but it was still a good joke. Well, Stephen, I, I want to say thank you for uh, being on the episode. This has been um, just an amazing amount of fun um, and really knowledge, really a lot of knowledge dropped. Um, I love talking leadership with you. Um, you are, as Aaron said last, last week, uh, I'm smart, as he says, and then there's a whole level of another smart that is Stephen Smart, and yeah. I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know about all that. I, re- I truly don't know all about that. I've just had some unique opportunities that seem cool, but I will tell you, I am either the smartest cool person, you know, or the smartest cool, what is the smartest cool person, you know, or the coolest smart person. Either yeah. way, the inverse. <laughs> yeah. I just like to think I'm never a nerd. I'll leave that to other people. Yeah. No, you, uh, you are, uh, one of the coolest smart people I know. And, uh, I, I value the time we spend together talking about those smart things. Um, you have a great feel for leadership stuff. Um, and I, I love every second of that conversation. Uh, I value our friendship more um, because um, we've connected in a way that I feel uh, deeply. And I know uh, it means a lot to me. So I'm... I'm yeah. um, I, and you, as, I, as it does to me as well. Uh, you know, you're one of my guys, Mark. I always tell you before you leave, I said, you know, you're my guy. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way. And, uh, I, it's your, your, uh, you, the relationships we've made, but I, I'm focusing on you and I tonight. Um, this is one of the great parts of 2020. Um, and, uh, so thank you for all of that. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for sharing a ton of cool information and, and telling, fun stories uh this has been great aaron um 
thanks for getting my name engraved and Mo's name engraved oh, forever yeah. <laughs> on Curiosity. That's, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was pretty, uh, no, no, that was pretty it's, um, amazing. Perseverance. 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 Yeah. yeah no, Curiosity that, was the last one, dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't go to Mars that fucking often. No. Awesome. You should be awesome, man. You should be able to get it right. <laughs> no, and I was happy to do that. And, you know, I did that for, I think, probably 130-odd people within LCC. That was pretty uh, So, you know, it's something that I want to share and find a new way to do it. You know, we like to send bombs for people. And this was something you, you didn't get to truly receive it except for the certificate I gave, but yeah. I thought it would be something unique and fun yeah. that people could share with their family. Paula and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. And so uh, it was special to us because you just go, that is like forever. That's like one of those cool things. Uh, I'm not going to get a chance to go to Mars, nor would I actually take that chance if I was given it um, because uh, I you know, don't think I can smoke cigars up there. Um, no, but you'd have we'd you'd find have, a way. You'd have an, a school named after you, though. I would. I prefer to be able to smoke cigars <laughs> <laughs> on the two on the well, two options. Just saying, we give up a little food to make sure we have cigars, so we yes. do all right. <laughs> okay. See, I like that kind of thinking can, right can there. You imagine, like, what type of tobacco you can grow? Maybe. I mean, might be maybe. like the, might be the best. Uh, it'd be out of this world. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, wow. That was really. That's all I have to offer for tonight. <laughs> right. That was. <laughs> I'd, fist, I'd fist bump you, but that would seem like I was encouraging you. Um, thank you for everything, Stephen. This was great. Um, I really had a ton of fun tonight. Um, look forward to talking to you on the Herf later tonight. And uh, um, so uh, thank you for everything uh, tonight. I'm trying to think of what else I need to say here. You can say this tonight is, again, maybe? Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so why no. don't you cut all of that out and why don't you close this out properly <laughs> no th- uh, thanks for coming on it's you know you, you gave some good quotes uh, especially some that i'm going to use uh later on in the week and everything and just you know with the guys and it, it gives us a different we've done a handful of these shows what five or six different yeah. leader ones and, and every single one has been a different avenue i mean this one has definitely been the it's been a very different style because it has everybody has their own whether it be with tim and and mike and then you have you know uh, the don you know with what he does and this one is it's a it's even a bigger role but has a lot of you know family stuff involved i thought they you know if you're average you're replaceable stuff that's that's great i thought the leadership uh, talk tonight was amazing so yep thank you steven all right, thank you, sir, and thanks for the opportunity to be on. I look forward to the next one. Yeah, no Excellent. problem. No problem. And Mark, I'll see you later tonight, buddy. Sounds great. <laughs> we'll see everybody next week. Be the good. Later.